This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Today, you're listening to episode 257, and I'm talking with Diane Newcurry. Diane grew up in Burundi and ran in her first Olympic Games in Sydney in the 2000 Summer Games at the age of 15. She's now a U.S. citizen and finished fifth at the 2016 New York City Marathon and is a three-time Olympian. She runs for ASICS, and her marathon personal record is 227.50. Her half marathon record is 69.12, which she will let you know that that is her favorite distance to race. And she currently lives and trains in Flagstaff. Diane and I were originally gonna do this interview before the New York City Marathon last fall when she was on the start list and she had to pull out due to injury. So we took some time, she took some time off, And we decided that now was a great time to catch up and do that interview we originally planned on doing. Diane was so kind to stay on the line for an extra 20 minutes. Even though this episode is already so long, she stayed on for 20 more minutes. So we talked for two hours uh, for my Patreon supporters. So if you are supporting the show over on Patreon, you get 20 extra minutes with Diane. And after you hear this conversation, I think you're going to want that. I also just posted a new Patreon episode yesterday with my husband, Glenn, over there. So lots of great extra content over on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash lindsayhine to check that out. In this episode, Diane and I talk about what life was like growing up in Burundi and the village that she lived in and ultimately what the decision looked like when she came over to Canada to seek asylum and then why she chose to run at Iowa here in the United States. There's a lot of depth to this conversation and I think you're gonna enjoy each part of it. All right, I want to thank a sponsor for this podcast episode and that is Prevenex. Prevenex is the supplement of my choice. I use their multivitamin, their Joint Health Plus, my kids take their Supervites and we use the Neurofi protein powder every single day. I have been looking for a clean supplement for a long time. I never feel like I found the right fit until I found Prevenex. Prevenex uses clinically tested and proven ingredients of the highest quality. When you use their Joint Health Plus, you are gonna be providing your joints with the fastest relief and protection possible in just seven to 10 days. Now I wanna tell you every single morning after my run, I come in and I make a smoothie using their Nurify protein powder. And I always make extra for my kids and I always slip their vitamins into the smoothie as well. Like I mix it up for myself, pour mine out, and then I mix their vitamin in theirs. And my kids love it. And I know that they're getting nutrient-dense packed nutrition for breakfast. And one really cool thing about Prevenex is for every purchase you make, they send a bottle of children's chewable multivitamin supervites to malnourished children around the world, which I think is so, so great. You all can enjoy these wonderful smoothies and get your multivitamins and protect your joints and all that good stuff 
When you go to Prevenex.com, use the code ANOTHER to get 15% off your first order. You won't regret it. Go do it. Prevenex.com. Use the code ANOTHER for 15% off your first order. All right, friends, if you enjoy this podcast episode or any other episode of the show, please consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes or whatever app you are listening on. It is such a great way for potential new listeners to find the show, and that's what we want. I read those reviews every single day, so I will not miss it if you write one, and I appreciate it so much. All right, friends, enjoy my conversation with Diane Newcurry. All right, today on the podcast, I'm so excited to welcome Diane Newcurry to the show. Welcome to the show, Diane. Thank you for having me. I am excited we're finally doing this. We kind of bounced back and forth last fall. Uh, I saw your name on the starting list for New York, so I was like, oh, I got to have her on the show. And then you had an injury, so you weren't able to run, so we decided let's just, you know, table this for a little bit later, and here we are. Yeah, um, yeah, it was, I'm definitely in a better place than I was last year. I've been with all this craziness, so I'm definitely happy to be back, and I'm excited to chat with you. Yeah, so... I now realize that at the Olympic trials that I saw you several times, but I didn't know it was you. Otherwise, I would have come and said hello. Um, But now looking back, I'm like, oh, that was totally Diane. (laughs) Yeah, you know, it was kind of like crazy there. And I just kind of went to cheer for um, Abdi and my friends. So I just kind of tried to, I didn't want to like bother people. And I feel like I definitely saw you somewhere. Like when, you know how we had that little area Uh people are running around and stuff so I kind of yeah it was just too crowded and yeah I mean totally (laughs) finally meeting so um anyway what's going on with you now your training what do you what's going on with your training and life right now well not much of it is going on with uh the whole you know pandemic and stuff so I was excited for this year because it's like the first time I've been training healthy in a lot six months and I got injured for the first like actually 2017 towards the end of um the year and I got the injury a few days before New York in 2017 so after that um I had a hip it was my hip and then I got Achilles problem for 2018 and I took some break and I started cross training and I ran uh, BAA, uh, I think Cherry Blossom in April, and then BAA 5K, and I ran really well, um, considering I didn't run much, and I was doing a lot of yoga, but I think that's how I ended up developing Achilles problem, because I was doing like four to five times a week of high yoga, and I loved it, and I was getting really fit, and I was telling my friends, I was like, wow, I'm like feeling so much better than when I'm running 100 miles a week, so... The high yoga worked, but I think I overdid it. And after that, I ended up taking the time off. And uh, at the end of the year, I didn't really do much. Um, and last year, I think, is when I found out I had hamstring tear. Mm-hmm. And I had been running on it for a month. I was so miserable. And uh, and then I ended up finding out I had, like, fibroids. And I had, like, in my uterus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, and then I ended up having a surgery and it was just crazy. And finally this year I was healthy and ready to do the New York half and it was canceled just, I think, three days before we travel there. But, you know, I'm not the only one going through all of this, but it's definitely been really hard for me because I haven't raced in a long time. 
Yeah, you were like setting yourself up for a comeback year, kind of. Yeah. Oh, that's and now so it's just a little slow. Yeah, it is. But, you know, I'm just, every week is different. You know, I think when everything was happening with just running, with, I mean, you know, everything that's happening uh, now, it was like, at one point, it was like really hard. Because, you know, you're on social media, you're looking what everybody's mm-hmm. posting, you're watching these videos. And, you know, I just every week now is better for me. I went, I was running a lot of mileage. I do not a lot of my, a lot, actually. I was doing long runs with like Rachel and Sarah. Um, same people I've been running since basically March. And and I was really enjoying it. But then I'm like, I can't keep doing like 18, 20 mile every Sunday or Saturday if I'm not going to race. So just kind of changing things around. But we go for like adventurous run and we go for hikes. And and I, I'm finding that really uh, helpful for me. And I'm doing more running now for just my – because I love running for just mentally makes me feel better. Um, so, yeah, I'm not really on any sort of schedule. I don't have to do workouts. And if I feel like running fast on a run like this morning I started – the first mile kind of slow and I ended up running almost like a mile kind of up tempo when I finish fast just get it over with run less than an hour and of course come back for this so it's kind of nice so you mean running with is it Sarah Hall that you're running with Mm-hmm. Okay, and then is it Rachel I feel like I saw you Snyder. okay yeah yeah now yeah. Sarah's an a6 teammate is Rachel uh, no, she's uh, Richie's Under Armour. Oh, okay, cool, yeah. cool, cool. Yeah, I just yeah. recently interviewed another Under Armour athlete, Aisha Pratt, which is uh, Prattlier, which I she was the first Under Armour athlete I think I've ever interviewed. So maybe oh, there's you, more popping up. Oh yeah, you definitely gotta get Rachel. Rachel okay. has I think uh, a good story, and she's running really well, and she's still young. I mean, I feel like Sarah and I are like. I mean, I think Sarah is like a year or two years uh-huh. older than me, but we definitely feel, I mean, for me, at least I can't speak for Sarah, but I feel like I am, you know, I'm like almost 36 or so. And then I think Rich is 28. So okay. you can, when we start our runs, I can definitely tell I'm getting a little bit older. <laughs> I don't start as fast as Yes, that's what it is. Every year I'm like, I need an extra mile. I need an extra warm up mile for sure. Yes. And sometimes it takes three to four miles or five. Totally. I know I always want to jump the gun on workouts and I'm like, you will feel better if you run three miles rather than one for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, that's fun that you have them as training partners. And yeah, I mean, I think that it's probably, I assume it's probably really hard to stay like no you want to stay fit but there aren't any races yes and your body is not like our bodies aren't made to handle just consistently running those huge mileage weekend runs every single week especially when we're not focused on anything to peak peak at yeah I've seen some other people um on some teams doing these like you know the boss hard team just did like a mile race are you interested in doing anything like that I mean, I think if I had that opportunity, like, it looks like what they did was actually pretty fun. And yeah. then they were running for something. And I think if I had uh, maybe, like, you know, a few people that wanted to do something like that. But, you know, I think because I've been running a lot on the road and I'm more of, like, a half marathon, a marathoner, and then 
10K, I still enjoy it. It's hard for me to get myself into mm. uh, go doing some like 200 repeats, 400 repeats. I feel like it's going to be all off of me and still not going to be running that fast. Uh-huh. So I think, yeah, like you say, it's really hard to keep running these, you know, long runs and workouts and, and like your body, usually when you have a race, it's so much easier because then you have this like, you know, uh, four to eight weeks of like this nice build up, and then you know you get ge- you know gearing up to a race, and and then you go to a race. It's a little break. You travel, and you have a, ne- a hard effort. Whether you have a good race or not, I think it helps mentally. And come back home and reset, and go back to train. And I love that routine, and that's the fun part about actually being able to go and compete, go to another country, go in a- to another city, and that breaks it up for a little bit. Whereas now it's you know, it doesn't matter even if you, for me, even if I try to do two, three months of build up, take a break and go back again, that to me doesn't make sense. So I'm deciding to do what my body feels like doing. But at the same time, for me, I joke around with my friends. I'm like, I just want to have a summer body. (laughs) (laughs) So to me, it's like, you know, stay fit, but really not be too uptight. Uh, run five to six days a uh, week and go for a hike. And on Sunday, I went up, uh, for a hike for a hike with Rachel for like nine miles. I don't normally would. I would normally never do that. And it felt so. After that, I was so tired. Mm. And the next day, I just ran six miles yesterday. So I was like, I like that because I feel like I'm still, you know, my body's still moving. And and I think that's good mentally to get ready for marathons as well, just being on your feet for a long time and you're not pounding. So I'm just trying to find ways to just make it more fun and not be super uptight and just running as because I really enjoy running. So I love that you guys are hiking. That's so good because I feel like runners get in such the mentality, like I got to get my run in, I got to get my run in. And I'm sure you like experienced a totally different like workout by hiking and you probably got to really feel be in the moment uh, yeah hiking you get yeah. to enjoy I mean we live in like one of the most beautiful places yeah. like and you just kind of drive five minutes or you can even hike from home and then get you know be somewhere in the woods and not even run into anybody and you can just really enjoy um just the nature and the things that you don't normally really pay attention to when you're running because you probably would be falling on like a single yeah. trail, you know, <laughs> you be but looking, we actually yeah. stop, yeah, stop, take pictures and just have fun and just kind of like enjoy and also experience what other people, there are not always crazy running on a trail. <laughs> I should get to experience like being able to like take a deep breath and enjoy where you are, enjoy the moment. Even when you go back, whatever you go back to is completely different. When Once you get back inside, yeah, you might just turn on a TV on your phone. I mean, I find myself more on my phone when I'm home and I'm just kind of flipping up and down for no reason. And it's like when I'm on a hike, I don't even take my phone. So I'm away from my phone for three, four hours and I don't even know what's happening on Twitter, Instagram. I don't care. So and that's really good for me just to take a break from that. It feels really freeing to just remove yourself from your phone. Yeah. And how sad that it's like once you put your phone down and you feel so good but it's something you can do all day totally but, I mean for me I don't I'm like I don't either. why am I telling people I feel so free and like you can be free all day <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I know I've been trying to do that like in the evenings at the end of the work day I have babysitter three days a week and at five when she leaves I'm trying to just like 
leave my phone upstairs in my room and not touch it again until my kids are like down in bed. And yeah. it always feels so good. I'm like, oh my gosh, that was that three hours of being totally detached. And like, guess what? Sometimes I come back and like nothing has happened and like actually nobody's even texted me. So it's really <laughs> yeah. like not that big of a deal. I don't know why we don't do it more. Um, yeah. Okay. I want to hear about your life and I am so excited to hear about all of it. Like as I've been researching you and learning more about your story, it is just has me in awe of everything that you've been through. And I would just love to hear about you guys. Diane ran in the Olympics for the first time when she was 15 years old. That's crazy. So yeah. yeah. Talk to us about how you discovered that running was your thing at such a young age. Well, um, I just, I was just kind of like, uh, going to school, just like my neighbors and my siblings and stuff. And we, I, you know, we lived, so I grew up in a village and it was about, uh, 26 miles from the capital city of Burundi, which is Bujumbura. And, um, but I had never really been to the city until I started running, but how I started running is like my school, my primary school was like two, I think three miles, three miles away from um, where I grew up in my mom's houses. And so we used to kind of run out, like you run to school, like carrying your books on like, you know, carrying your books, not even in the backpacks, just like really in your hands or in the bag, the grocery bag. And um, so we just run three miles, uh, stay in school all day, had breaks and during the breaks, we would just go around around, just kind of like, you know, younger like, kids and stuff. And then after school, we'll run home. So that's already six miles. But yeah, that's six miles uh, a day. And that's like from the time when you were anywhere between seven wow. to like 15 or 16, whenever you're done with the primary school. And so, um, and we usually have like one hour of like physical activity. And I remember like my teacher was like, hey, do you guys want to run for 3K and see who gets first? And I heard about this race in another province, which is like so far from where I lived. So we had to take a bus and stuff. So I was so excited. I didn't really care about running because we run every day. We run from school to school and back. So I just did. I'm like, oh, that sounds so good. I can go somewhere. It's so fun because growing up, I find since we were such a big family, my sisters are knowing me because – I had to take care of them and especially my little sisters. I feel like, oh, I could use a break for like a weekend yeah. and go somewhere else. So um, so I did that and then like I won the race. It was small. It was just among my classmates. And so we went there and I had fun. We ate different food. I met different kids from different province and we were going for, I think, I would say a weekend. And then when I came back, I was really excited and they gave us like prize like pen and pencils and books. And that was really good for my mom because she didn't have to buy me any of that. And I feel like I was actually accomplishing more than my siblings because I was bringing goods home yeah. <laughs> where they were not doing anything. They were just like asking my mom for things. So that's what I feel like. Oh, I can be independent. I can help out my mom. I can be like my mom's favorite kid, at least that moment, because <laughs> I was always in trouble. So that's kind of how everything started. And then we went from... Uh, going to the province of the capital city when it's more exciting. It's like by the lake and you get to 
actually compete with people from all over the country. And so for me, it was just like to get to different places. And then eventually I heard that we can get on a plane. And it was like, I can't even imagine being on a plane. And I was like, oh, I'm in. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get on that plane. And then once I did, it's like the following year was actually going to the Olympics. And I had no idea what it was. Wow. I was like walking around the, the Olympic village. You know how there was all these superstars. I didn't care. I didn't even know anyone. So I just like <laughs> kind of looked around like, just a little village girl and I had teammates that were older and one of them went to actually U of A with Abdi and that's the first time I met Abdi was through my teammate who is still friends with him today so and then I remember meeting Bernard Lagat and I think his wife was in the the Olympic village visiting and I just I just remember because I think at that point I'm not sure if they're all bold but you know, it's, <laughs> they still look the same. So <laughs> they still look the same, and they're like early to mid forties. Crazy, I know. Yeah. Okay, so that's so cool. First of all, because you're this 15 year old girl at the Olympics, like you said, all those superstars were there. Because I'm, I'm imagining, and correct me if I'm wrong, you probably didn't have TV, so you weren't like following what all these people were doing in their careers at all, or like the no, news. I have no idea. We. Um, growing up, we had this little radio. Sometimes it didn't like work. We had to like move the antenna, even move around our, our house, just behind our house, so to see where we can get the signal. And I mean, let let alone the TV. I had no idea. I remember after the Olympics is when I brought like papers of like I think newspapers of these like you know how they print like newspapers in the Olympic Village and then they drop it off at every you know, like country, like the federation and stuff. And we all get to like, if you want, you can keep it. So I remember I kept a few and then I had like a picture of Marion Jones. Unfortunately, I was actually like, everybody was obsessed with her. So I was like, oh my gosh, I love her. And I didn't even know anything about her. Yeah. (laughs) But, and then after that, I just had pictures of these like people that I saw competing that I met in the village. And I just, when I went back to um, my village and I just hung it in the living room and my, my siblings were like, why are you hanging all this? And I'm like, I actually met these people. <laughs> but before I had no idea who they were, yeah. which was back. I feel like it was just nice. To, you didn't have social media. There was no TV. So for me, it was just like, I didn't really care who you are. I'm here. We're at the same place. So we must be in the same level, even if, that was not the case for sure. And you were the we're flag the- bearer, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I was actually. And I remember they they asked me if I can wear the traditional clothes, which I ended up wearing in 2012. But back then I was such a tomboy and I looked like a little boy, which mm. sounds like when I talk about it, people are like, oh, I can, what, why would you say that? I'm like, but I'm not like ashamed of that. I was just like a 15. Yeah. And I'm so I'm so glad I didn't have like this extensions of hair and then like fake eyelashes at 15 I was like I didn't even know what makeup was about I didn't know anything like I got to actually do all that when I got just older when I got to find out on my own so I just wore like tracksuit and probably the majority of people didn't even know if I was a boy or girl (laughs) I know I shouldn't laugh about that but I'm sure I don't want to offend anybody but that was me at that time that was just that's how how I was and Years later, when I left, I was like, I wish I wore those traditional clothes, but I got a chance to do it in 2012. And this time, I actually did my hair, makeup, and I was like so extra. 
I was like, I got to make up it. the time when I was like a little, you know, tomboy and I actually got to enjoy and embrace my, I my culture. I saw that picture. Yeah. You were so pretty in that picture. Yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of cool, though. You were just your total true self in both instances, right? Yes. And now that I'm older, as I look back, I'm like, I'm so glad I did that. I didn't want to be pressured by yeah. There's people telling me, you got to look like a woman. You got to wear certain clothes. You're going to, you got to wear a certain type of hair. And, and I think now I'm like, oh, I'm so glad I stuck with how I felt. And I just did it on my terms when I was ready. That's so cool. It's really it, looking back. It's really a mature choice, actually. Yeah. I'm like, I probably made more mature choices than now. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, everybody, I'm going to take a quick break and thank a sponsor for this episode. This is Curex, the best running insoles on the market. They're rated number one in comfort and foot pressure relief, and they are scientifically proven to reduce foot pressure and increase comfort. I have been wearing orthotics basically my entire running life, and the Curex Run Pro insoles are such a great answer to providing a highly customizable fit for whatever foot type you have. So so you fill out a survey on their website all about your foot and they will send you a customized insole that meets your needs based on the survey you fill out. They offer a 60-day warranty even if the product has been cut to fit your shoes. These insoles will provide you with the comfort and relief that you need Check them out. Go to curex.us. Use the code IHA15 for 15% off your order. All right. Thanks so much, Curex. And you all enjoy the rest of my conversation with Diane. Burundi, the the country where you come from, they were in a civil war for a very long time. And you ended up coming to the United States. You came to Canada first and here. Can you just share with us a little bit? I'm sure it's probably hard to talk about, but a little bit of that part of your life growing up. Yeah, it was tough because also I wasn't that aware of a lot of things and I wasn't, I'm I'm never, I'm not really into politics Mm -hmm. even till now. So, and I try, I'm not, you know, some people are really just naturally, they want to get into politics. They want to get to know what's happening. So for me, I just remember during that time, we you could hear gunshots from the city, even though it was still 26 miles. And because it's like sometimes it would happen closer to us. But we actually never had anything in my village. But, you know, my dad being in the army and at that time I was only nine. So I really didn't know a lot about my dad. I remember I have like some memories of him coming home and like give us a hug when he, come, he came home for the weekend because he, he barely really had a time off you know even people here when they're in the army they'll go for like a year without even come home so whenever he came home the memories I have of him was like him bringing us like bread and for the weekend all the things that we don't normally you know because we grew a lot of food at home so we but we didn't have like bread and rice and all that stuff we couldn't actually afford at that time so I just remember going to greet him when he came home and I don't ever remember spending time with them because it's just a different kind of culture. Like when dad comes home, so you're not even supposed to walk just past him. You're supposed to go to the back of the house because that's how we were raised. Mm. Just being polite. 
and give like older people space. And so I remember much about him. And I'm so until today, I had that one picture of him. And I, as I get older, I really cherish that picture. And I mm. always just kind of look how like, you know, I mean, I'm a little biased because he was my dad. I'm like, oh my God, he was so handsome. I was so obsessed with the picture. And so a lot of things happened. A lot of people went through way more than we did because we didn't actually lost a home or we didn't lose a lot of people. We didn't lose neighbors. I didn't lose any other members of my family except my my dad. So, but I just remember being hard. There have been nights where we didn't know what was happening. We'd always pack bags just in case mm. we have to like go hide under the the tea plantation plantation because we have a lot there or under under the trees or whatever that was available. So, and there are times I remember a couple of times we actually did that just in case, because we didn't want to be at home in case people came at home and, you know, you never know. I mean, it's just, it was more being extra careful because on the other side of, of town or in another, another province or in the capital city, you hear things that you listen to the radio, but you'd never really know when they can come to your village. So that kind of lasted for some time. And by the time I was 14, 15, it was a little better until I actually went to a race. And the capital city was more unstable. So when I started going to compete, it was when I was on a bus. And sometimes because you left the capital city to go to my village, it's like you go from sea level to like almost 7,000 feet. So it's a little bit uh, you going up the mountains and a lot of times there would be people hiding under them, mm. you know, by the road and you never knew if they were going to shoot your car or anything. So I was on a bus one day, shot um, our bus, but they, they only harmed one guy who was in the army and he died. And that's the closest I've ever seen really anything. Cause I didn't really see my dad. I didn't even get to go to the funeral because we were so young, but my older siblings did. So, that time for me was when I was so scared. I had nightmares for just, you know, months because I remember like taking the body because like, we had to stay on the bus and we were obviously at that point, we're not a priority. So the bus driver had to take the guy to his family. Mm. And it's like, you know, when your family expects you to come home, they're waiting with open arms, just the way I used to wait for my dad when I was young. And just imagine how it would be to just be like, oh, I have a dead body, you mm. know, and you can't even explain and you're a bus driver and you have passengers that you have to take home as well. So you don't really, we didn't stay there for that long. I just remember when we dropped him off, his family just crying and, and we left. So that, those are the things that really I remember. But then after sometimes, you know, when I decided to leave, it's like, it wasn't hard because that reason as well. So it's hard. I know, like, when I talk about it, I'm all over the place because there's just so many things that happened. And I know that happened to, like, my friends and other families. But for us, I would say we actually were fortunate that it wasn't, it could have been worse. Mm. And then there's so many people that die at that time where you just hear about it, you read about it even more now, as now that I'm older. But back then, it was just like when you're young, you're running around, you're hiding, you're trying to stay safe. Um, and of course, my mom, being like a single mom, having nine kids, like I can imagine what she had to do. So, yeah, nine kids. Where are you in the lineup? I'm a fifth kid, so I'm in the middle. Oh, you're right in the middle. Mm-hmm. 
Do you have yeah. do you have those typical middle kids? Uh, I feel like everybody's always like, oh, they're the middle kid. I'm the middle kid myself too. Yeah, I, I do. I've always felt that they did, nobody really care what I was doing mm-hmm. because there's uh, the first is usually the first one or two that they spoil, like they would take care of. And actually, between um, now it's just eight of us, but after my little sister passed away when she was young, mm. so and then I have my other sister who came after that. She was so spoiled because you know she, you know she, the the her little sister passed, but it didn't matter that I actually my little sister passed away. But they spoiled my sister, who is now four years younger than me, and then the youngest one. So the youngest mm. one is always the last, the, youngest, the yeah. first two, and the last two, especially the youngest one. So I always felt like. One of the reasons why I wanted to just run or do anything just to get away from my siblings because I it didn't matter if I showed up for lunch or dinner. Nobody remember whether I ate or not. It's <laughs> not that they didn't like care about me, but yeah. I definitely didn't feel like I was a priority at any point. <laughs> yeah, I feel like the middle kids and then and then you realize as your youngest kids get older, you treated the middle ones like they were so much older than they actually were. When that like little guy or girl gets to be like five, you're like, oh my gosh, I was treating them like they were ten when they were yeah. five. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is good. I I I like being in the middle. I feel like I had to grow up a little bit. Yeah, but like I I was forced to grow up, like you said. Like you yeah. treat them as if they're much older than they are. What happened to your sister? Oh, was she? Um, I don't know exactly. I didn't even find out until later that she had passed. So I think she just was sick when she was little. I think she was oh. only four months old. Oh, she's so. baby, baby. She was a baby, baby. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I didn't even get to like see her because I was, I mean, as mature as I was at that age, I didn't even get to see her. But yeah. Yeah. So how yeah. how old were you? Well, I would have been maybe two and a half. Okay. You were really was, little. She's right after me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, okay. So you make the decision to, um, go to Canada and stay yes. with some family there. What did that look like? Ooh, um, I actually kind of had planned for it since. So between, so after Sydney, we also went to this, this uh, championship in France. So I actually did travel quite a bit before. So I went to France, I went to Portugal, I went to Belgium. But at that point, I was like, oh, I really wanted to leave, but I wasn't really ready. Like, I just felt just something about leaving at that time that didn't feel right. So I kept going back home. And I remember people kept telling me, like, you have this chance to, like, stay in France. Because there's actually other people that stay there that we're on my, on my team. And I said, I just, I'm not ready. And then I went, when I went back to Belgium, and I think that was 2001, but early was cross, work cross country. And they were like, how can you not stay in Belgium? There was like three people that stay there because at that point, there was people that stay there though, but they were a little bit older than me. And I just, it just never felt right for me. But by the time we went to um, Canada at like 16, but I had also been traveling a little bit more. I was a little bit more f- familiar with how things work. And then knowing that I had a cousin that I, that I never met before. So I was like, oh, oh, it's a little bit easier. So at least if something happens, I have somebody who's an adult who's been living in Canada for like 10 plus years. So 
I knew I was ready, so I had planned it, and I had met, met my mom. I met my mom's sign, um, an under eight, like a, an agreement that it's okay if I were, you know, if the police were to stop me because I was underage, that I had a permission. And we, I got my uncle to write it and had my mom sign it. She wasn't, like, she kind of knew, I told her, but she wasn't really, I don't think she agreed. Mm. I mean, she agreed, obviously, because she signed, but I don't think she was happy about it. And my brother and my uncles, like, tried to, like, just convince her, it's for better, she's going to come back in a year, and you'll see her again, it will be so much better, she's going to school. So she finally, of course, you know, she just kind of agreed to do it. But you, as a mom, I mean, your mom, you know, I don't know anything, but I ever imagine it would be really hard to send a 16-year-old, and especially as a village mom, and just signing that paper is like almost signing your kid away. If you know, it's not like anybody's paying you or anything. It's like, it doesn't look that good. And I cannot imagine what, how she felt, especially being after that, I was gone for like eight years. She didn't see me until eight years later. So at that time, I knew I was very determined that no matter what happened, I was going to stay in Canada. And I definitely stuck to my plan. Um, Even though it was like hard, I was like, I can do it. I will get up at 6 a.m. I'll call my cousin and be like, hey, this is what's happening. This is when my race is over. Uh, you can come at the back of, we stay at the University of Ottawa, the dorms. And I say, hey, just meet me at the back. I'm not even going to take my bag. I'm just going to take my backpack. And they kept our passports too. So I didn't even have a passport. I just had the, the paper that my mom signed. And she came at the back and picked me up. And it was also really illegal. And a bunch of people had already left from other countries. So they were already like, the police and the security, everybody was aware that that was happening. And I was one of the last people to leave. So, but it worked and nobody ever really found out until I was already in Toronto. And that's like, not like a 30 minute drive where you can come find me. Like it would be really hard and nobody knew my address. I mean, my cousin's address. So I knew that for a few days I'm safe until maybe if somebody ever like, you know, gave them, what I leave because you know they can always look it up uh, but I didn't sleep for days and I, my cousin went back to get my passport and my other bags and, and that was it and I filed for the asylum that's what I was gonna say because that's what your reason for leaving was you can file for your that you're seeking asylum mm-hmm. okay so then yeah. are, then you're considered a refugee in Canada yes for the three years I lived there, and actually during that time, it was e- a little bit easier to get, uh, you know, the to be granted that the asylum, like to be, like to get, like I got my resident card, which is would be the equivalent of a green card here, within two years, and I was already, I waited for a few months, just I think a year actually, and then after that, I was able to go to finish high school. So that's what I ended up going at a French high school because I spoke French then. And in high school, you have to graduate. Uh, in Canada, you have to graduate high school at 19. Mm. So because I was already like 17, I had to actually didn't have time to go learn English and then go to high school English. So I just went to French school so I could finish. And I graduated just before I turned 20. Okay. So you speak three languages, English, French. Yes. What's the language in your village? Kirundi. 
So okay. Kirundi is a national language in Burundi. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. So all the yeah. villages speak that? Yes. And then when you go to school, you learn French. Okay. So did you already know French? I knew not as, I mean, I wasn't like fluent at uh-huh. all. So that was another thing is like people think, you know, they think Burundi, we're colonized by Belgium, so we speak French. But really, you only speak French. To become fluent in French, you have to at least finish the university or, you know, uh, high school at least. So for me, I was still just starting uh, high school. And so there was no way I was, you know, I wasn't fluent in French. And plus, I was a village girl. Like, we didn't have TV. We didn't watch Mm. these, like, uh, movies in French or English or any other language. So all we knew really mostly was just a native language and whatever you learn in school. So that was a little nervous when I went to school in Canada where I had to speak French the whole time. How cool is it that you speak three languages? Was English hard to learn? I think it's easier than French, but I still, I feel like, I mean, I, I'm still learning. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like there is, I mean, you're always like learning. I feel like it's a little bit easier than French for sure. Oh my gosh, um, you sound so fluent to me. Uh, I still have like, well, it, actually, even in Kirundi, when I, the way I speak, I there are words that I don't get out, so even in French in any language. So it's not that it's English is not my first language. I mean, I still have an accent and then there are things that I kind of, miss but I speak so fast that uh, sometimes I get so excited that there are words that you would not be able to hear when I say so yeah okay so you've mentioned that you didn't see your mom for eight years so you leave at 16 eight years later you're 24 how did you see her then did you go back or did she come here what did that look like I went back um, because once I left Canada I I left Canada just before I become a Chem citizen, and so I went to a junior college in Kansas, and I did two years there. Transferred to the University of Iowa, and my plan was to go to to you know college, and after college go back to Canada and file for the citizenship. Actually, my plan was even to do it during the time I was in school in the U.S. But it's hard unless you stay in Canada for at least there's like a minimum requirement that the time that you have to spend in Canada in order to actually apply mm. for the citizenship. So my my plan was, as soon as I graduated college in 2006, was to go back to um, to Canada. But, well, I met, uh, you know, my ex-husband. I I fell in love, and we, we just kind of talked about how it didn't make sense for me to go back to Canada, so I stayed in the U.S. And mm. at that time... Um, it made sense and I definitely don't regret it. It was just part of my life. Mm-hmm. But um, so I never went back to Canada. But I think in the end, my running career is probably better mm-hmm. off just me leaving in the US because if in a nice day. So after I graduated from the University of Iowa, I ended up staying with my college coach and he was still the coach at the University of Iowa. So I was, I was a volunteer assistant coach and he coached me to go back to the Olympics in 2012 and 2016 I was already back he moved I had already moved to Flagstaff but so I ended up staying in Iowa for like eight years and I after I actually moved in Flagstaff in 2014 after I got divorced I just needed a change it was 
It was crazy. And I, I know I already lost you. I was supposed to talk about how I went back home. But no, it's good. I went back home after basically I got married in 2009. Mm-hmm. And shortly after that, I went home. So I went back home after leaving at 16 as a little, you know, teenager. And I went back home as a married woman who, you know, my mom, I haven't seen my mom for eight years. And my brother came to my wedding, actually, in 2009. And even when he came, it's like, it was really weird. It was more like seeing a stranger. And going back home and meeting my, seeing my mom again and my siblings, they were like totally stranger. I mean, mm. I never really had the time to like bond with my mom as like mother-daughter. And I left some of my, you know, one of my sisters, the youngest one, I think she was only six. I don't remember exactly, but I didn't really recognize them. And I, it's not like I talked to them on, a, on a, you know, on a video. It was just, it was so overwhelming when I got there. I thought it was going to be easier, mm. but it was so hard until I went back again and then again and then again. And eventually we kind of got on the same page. But it was really hard for my mom. She actually thought I wasn't even alive. Really? And when I talked to her, she thought we were, you know, my cousin was staging someone to, to sound like me. Yeah, I mean, my mom is, she just, she just remembers like signing me mm-hmm. off. And then I'll go for eight years. I mean. It's a long time. Any mom. Yeah, any mom would be so like sad and I guess, I don't know, wondering what's happening. So but, do all of your siblings live in Burundi now? Um. N- yeah, except I have a brother who lives in uh, Alexandria, Virginia with okay. his wife and three kids. Okay, and he's the one that came yeah. to your wedding. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And wow. I have a, can- a, uh, a, a sister who actually just went to Canada for school. Wow. Yeah. So, so, but the rest are back home. They're back home. Wow. It's mm-hmm. so, so wild. What? It's just, I can't imagine growing up in such a different place and being... You know, it's just, it's wild and that so many of your siblings are still there. Yeah. yeah, it's, it's different, but at first it was hard. I actually, I feel like it's, it's like now it's a little bit harder as I get older. I, at times, I feel like sometimes I feel a little bit guilt, guilty because I'm, mm. I'm like, I don't really know my sibling much mm. and I love to spend more time with my mom and but I feel like in life, you don't always get, you don't get everything. Like I have such a great life. I have, I've met so many people that became my family over the last almost 20 years now. Like next year, I will celebrate 20 years Wow! Um, after I left home. So I think about from the time I was in Canada with my cousin and uh, her husband and the husband family, they became my family. And then going to Kansas and my coach for two years and his family became my family and some of my teammates. And then Iowa, same thing with him and his uh, wife and kids that, that I used to all babysit. Now they're getting older and moving back to Fox, that moving to Fox stuff where I've met this such a, you know, great community. And I've met friends that are now like basically my siblings or I mean, just my family, as I call them, you know, some of them are like brothers and sisters. And 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 I know that nothing can actually re- replace your family, but 
I feel like I am, I love the fact that like I have family back home and I also have family all over like, you know, Canada and the U.S. I feel that's like educational for me. And then you don't have like the love I have for my family. It's never going to change it for my mom. But I also also have my I have more room to love other people. And I also feel loved by them. So to me, it doesn't really matter whether at times I feel guilty or not. So. Yeah, I'm sure that everybody feels guilty for one reason or another with like decisions they make throughout their life. But it's so beautiful yeah. how you've designed this, you know, life for yourself. And this this is your life. This is one life you get. Yeah, that's yeah. Yeah, it's really it's really beautiful. Now, you're a three time Olympian. We talked yeah. all the way back to when you're 15. Does that just feel like a lifetime ago? Yeah, I mean, it when I think like the first time, like 2000 and now I feel like so much has happened. And sometimes I was talking to my friends. I think it took me like just, you know, when I got injured to just, just slow down Mm -hmm. and like where, when the moment I left home in 2001 to go into Canada and from Canada to us and, finishing school and trying to figure out whether running I didn't even know I was ever gonna be you know a professional runner or make money uh off of running but also thinking oh I could get a different job I have a college degree to go into school with that you know going to the university in the U.S. that was never even a dream of mine and to just I don't know sometimes I feel like I never this is a time now I'm like I can kind of enjoy, even though sometimes I feel like I'm being lazy, but I'm like, no, like for 15, 16, 17 years, I just been on a go from the moment I was basically 14 before I even left home. I was going to these races, coming home, trying to study, uh, doing chores at home and helping my mom and uh, taking care of my siblings and doing all these things. I never actually even had a time to sit down and think, oh, I did this and this and that. And I'm not planning to spend a year saying, oh, I did all these things. Like I went back to the Olympics and all that. But every Olympics, I was a, such a diff- I was in a different like stage. And it was just every, like 2000, I don't know anything, but 2012, I graduated from the university. I am feeling a lot more confident, a lot more, I, I know what I want to do and I'm ready. I also have standard to be, there where in 2000 I didn't Mm. in 2016 I felt a lot more competitive and I was competitive uh you know in the U.S. and outside the U.S. so I each Olympics have a really different um um it's just a different moment for me and I'm proud with you know all of them of course but I'm more proud of being able to get an education and having a stable life and having a home and fuck stuff. And I feel like that's like, I mean, my American dream and it's just being able to have a place you call home and, and just not slowing down thinking, Oh, I made it, but I definitely have a good life. And yeah. Yeah. Talk about your coach Lane Anderson and that relationship and competing at Iowa. Yeah. I, I, because I was only there for two years. Yeah. Too. And I remember my first year there, I my running style has been, my racing style has been like going out, no fear. Mm. Uh, high school, 
uh, junior college and my junior college coach will always be like, you know, you gotta like, you gotta like piss yourself. And at times I'm like, I don't want to leave and I just go. <laughs> but I remember uh, that worked in a junior college or high school because it's not as competitive, sure. right? So I remember getting to Iowa the first year. I was just like, as soon as the gun went off, I just ran as fast as I could. And then after 3K, oh, they're just all past me. <laughs> and my coach is like, but you're good. Like, you should not be jogging the last, like, the last K of a 6K. And I was like, well, but I didn't want to own up to that. I was like, oh, maybe it's just his coaching style that I don't like. And, but then once I started to figure it out, and it's like when I started winning a Big Ten championship and I actually felt confident and strong and then when I went to nationals like cross country I loved cross country was my favorite and my coach really kind of taught me how to be patient and he at times he would just sit me down I was like you know I care about you you know I want you to do really well and you just gotta have to listen to me and I just kind of start trusting in him as a coach as like a dad figure I'd as someone who really want me to do well. And once I did that and everything just started clicking and he was always checking on me and cause he knew it was hard. And I think he had traveled to places like Kenya mm. and other. So he was a little bit more familiar with other, other culture and the African culture. And I think he coached other African people um, like Kenyans and uh, other East Africans that I don't remember exactly where they were from but he had an experience and that helped a lot because I remember these things now I remember because all these things was happening with like you know uh, my college team is used to be like you're here to take our place and mm-hmm. that's the reason why I'm not going to regionals is because of you and I'm thinking I was so confused because I was like I was not aware of these things right I was like wait I was like, your parents get to come to watch your race and you're blaming me for taking your place like where I haven't seen my mom. And I'm, of course, I didn't like say that to them. But at times I'm like, you are, you mean to tell me like you actually feel like I'm taking your place and wow. you have everything you have. You drive a nice car. I don't have a car. You have everything, all the support you can get. And so to me, I didn't understand that time. But my coach always makes sure that. And I didn't even tell him that because I didn't want to, like, complain. But I felt like, too, he was checking on me a little bit more than others at times because he knew probably what I was going through. Wow. And he knew that I needed a little bit more of, you know, uh, like somebody just to be there because he knew I didn't have my parents to come to Big Ten Championship and Nationals. So over the years, like, now I've been thinking about all these comments that I've been getting being in college being even in high school in Canada you know I was my high school was was pretty white Mm. it was like maybe three or four like one guy from Haiti and actually two other girls from Burundi that went to school there wow which was cool Yeah. yeah yeah so but I just remember like you know, when you have people asking you, oh, do you eat sand? Do you guys have homes? And I'm just like, oh my God. but I'm like, at that point, when you're young, you kind of, yeah, like, don't, you just, either you don't respond, but you're like, is this like real life? But you just be like, oh, they're ignorant, they mean well. Mm. But I just, over the years, these comments, and I'm like, whoa, that is insane. But anyway, so my coach really was, um, 
he was definitely, he's one of the reasons why I'm where I am today, because I think like college is very important. And he, the comments I was getting from some of my teammates, not all of them, of course, some of them are very supportive and they'll invite me home for Thanksgiving Aww. and, you know, Christmas. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to like sound like I'm complaining about totally. everyone. There is always these really nice people that take you in and then make you have faith in, you know, in people. So, um, yeah, so that really worked. Sorry, I got distracted by Abdi. What are you doing? <laughs> Seriously? Tell him Sorry. he needs to come on the podcast sometime. Uh, no, he doesn't deserve it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let him know. Um, um, wow. I am. I'm so sorry that you went through that. That's horrible that your teammates, some of your teammates treated you like that. It's, it's awful. Um, do you think with everything going on in the world right now with the black lives matter movement and everything, like have those things been brought to the forefront of your mind? Yeah. Um, a lot. I was talking to my friends about it. They actually, I feel like for the first couple of weeks, it was just overwhelming and it's not just, you know, these things happened in um, high school and college, which I'm sure I'm not the only one to experience that. I talked to people that went through a similar thing or even worse things. But now I think about like on the running circuit, you know, like whether it's U.S. and international, I feel like seeing some of the things like people are posting, but I also have my like the experience I have with them like talking to me about like, oh, these Africans like coming to us mm-hmm. and taking our place. And it's like, it's not any different from my college team and saying you here taking my place. Right. So and then I, and then sometimes like, I don't want to even name, you know, say names, but it's like, sometimes like I have these conversations of, you know, with this, with people, my fellow runners, um, you know, men and women, that, you know, at some point you think, oh, they're your friends, you know, they're like, you know, you hang out with these people, you run with them and you think, oh, you know what? Running is so simple. Running brings people together and you don't think a lot. And then you see people tweeting about things and you're like, what? But mm. like people tweeting about, you know, all these people coming here, all these people taking a spot, all these people going to train here or just like generalizing and just saying even Africans, like you realize like when you say Africans, it's like you realize how big Africa is. Mm -hmm. And when you say that, and it's like, to me, I get really offended. To me, it's like, and when you're just posting Black Lives Matter, but then you're treating like me and other people that are not from here different, but really on the social media, you're showing that you care that blows my mind and I try not to pay too, too much attention to that, but I'm more aware of things and comments that I experience, uh, things that I experienced in the last like 18 years now, mm. because I'm thinking, wait, for some people were nice. They really actually want to get to know me, where I come from. But then other people, they just wanted to be really nosy. They wanted to push my buttons, but I just never, I never thought, I never fought back. I never talked back because I feel like there's no need for me to start 
an argument or a conflict, like just conf- conf- like confrontational at that, you know, at this point. But I'm, and I'm not like angry, but I'm annoyed that some people just are posting like these pictures and videos for self-promotion. Mm-hmm. And then I also know some people that are genuinely nice people that I've had conversations that listen to me even before all this. You know, I know everybody's saying, oh, listen, learn, blah, blah. Some people have been doing this before, before all these, like, protests and stuff. But there are some people that I've wasted my hour talking to them about my life and my family when they didn't even care about me. Mm. And they they just see me as, like, a threat. They see me as I'm here to take their money, where it's like, but I live here. I pay taxes. I own a home. I'm just as American as you are. Yeah. I yeah. was born somewhere different. Yeah. But I also didn't come here to just pick cash and leave. Like I, I, I do. There are some people that are, we're born here that don't even pay taxes. There are some people that do the worst thing. But for me, it's like, I work hard. I work, you know, some people feel like they work harder than us, but it, trust me like we have to work way harder we have to prove that we can you know do jobs here just like anybody that was born here and you have to come you we come here and we learn different language different culture it's so much harder than you think it's so much harder than these people that think they work harder than me you know like we we have it way harder than they do but they don't know that because they're so self-centered and they think that, oh, I wasn't given this. I wasn't given talented. Yeah, like I recognize that I'm talented. But the talent is not going to, you know, get me to these races in New York and finish like top five, top, top ten. They're not going to get me to a college and get a, you know, scholarship, full scholarship. I had to work harder, you know, only like in school and running and just staying physically and mentally stable without even being, because I'm not around my family, I had to surround myself with better people. So I actually had to like create my own family where some of these people have their own family where they, things get hard. You pick up your phone, you call your mom. Hey mom, can you send me a thousand dollars? Whereas for us, it's different. We actually had to send money home. Mm. Sorry, I'm like getting. <laughs> I'm so glad that you're sharing this. Thank you. Yeah, so it, yeah, it, it is hard and it's like, I, I, I think I appreciate that people are like speaking up and that they're sharing. But before you do all this, it's like, mm. just think about, like, think about the, the, the you know, your, your teammate, your classmate, your neighbor. Like, think about how you act around those people, the things you say, like social media, like, yeah, you can be like an influencer. You can be, you have this platform and all that, but like, you don't have to post none of these things unless you actually feel like inside you want to, you know, you're that person inside and you want to be supportive of your, you know, your teammate or your, your you know, your friend from Africa or Europe or whatever they're from. So, like, just do it as a good person, not for attention and social media and be that genuine friend instead of just showing that you care because you know why here the one thing I always tell my friends is like in only in America maybe not in America you have the people that sound so ignorant 
on social media and they sound so ridiculous. But you also have like thousands of Americans saying, oh, thank you. I feel so much like better that you posted this. And mm. But it's like when I read the post, it's not like, wait, am I missing something? Is it because English is not my first language that I'm actually not getting this post? Or is it like, I get it. It's like you have this person you admire. You mm. you know, they're running so fast and then they're posting all these things and they look. And I don't want to take any, anything away from those people. But it's like, but you always have these people that are like, maybe they have issues as well, but it's like they always make you feel good because you're also making them feel good for being so ignorant and being such a bad people. But they don't even know because for me, I can't imagine going like, oh, you're such a bad person. Why would you post that? Trust me, I wish I could. I can go now on social media and count maybe 10 to 15 people where I can just be like, no, that's BS. Like you're just posting it because you feel like you have to post it. Mm -hmm. And you're not genuine and you don't want me to be here. But I'm definitely here to stay. If anything, you make me work harder. Mm. You make me want to be better. And you you make me want to like even love harder to the people that actually genuinely care about me. Wow. Yeah. What would it, what would it feel like to you? Cause the hope is right with everything being brought to the forefront and people talking about it in this movement is that people will come to a reckoning that they were wrong, right? That they mm-hmm. shouldn't have felt that way in their hearts. So what would it feel like or mean to you if one of those people came to you and said, Personally, not on social media, not in front of a crowd, Mm -hmm. but just sent you an email and said, I messed up. Like, I was wrong. Mm -hmm. What would that feel like? Um, I mean, of course, that, you know, it's always nice when you see people change, right? And as long as it's genuine. But if you post something, if you post something said to attack a certain group on social media, I think, and you really feel like you did something wrong, I think you should first apologize on social media because the email is personal and I like it or text message and it's really good. But what about your followers? Mm -hmm. Because you have like, I don't know how many followers you have. You could, even if you have 10, even if you have one. You have the power to actually even make one person, it doesn't matter whether they're from Europe, a different city, different country, whatever, to believe that what you say is true. Mm -hmm. Because some of these people, like, they don't even know anything about African runners. The the African runners you're putting in one category, they don't know anything like, but you had a chance to compete with these people. You had a chance to get to know them. So for me, it's like if you can apologize to the people and to your followers that you make made assumptions about a certain group mm-hmm. or that you being ignorant and you didn't even know about this and you didn't educate yourself, you just thought you, you knew it all, and then you come to me, apologize, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. That, and then I will learn to forgive you and... And I would just, I would want to be your friend. And if you ever need a, you know, if you have a question, I will answer your questions. But it's like, sometimes you can tell if somebody's genuine or not. But I think if you can send an email or meet someone in person and apologize, and that would be great. And if it comes from your heart, I mean, isn't that what we all want? And then if we can admit that 
you know, we were wrong. And also I was, t- I was talking to some of my friends too. I'm saying like, I know some people, I have friends that tell me, yeah, I feel guilty because the way I was raised, my, and my parents didn't mention this. My parents didn't educate me mm-hmm. about this, but I was like, but you don't need to feel guilty as long as you don't mistreat people, as long as you don't, um, put people in this like group. I mean, as long as you don't you believe in these stereotypes, I mean, we all have, you know, the things we say and stuff, but as long as you really don't have that, that something in your heart that makes you hate another person or that makes you believe that another person should not, does not deserve what you deserve, as long as you just believe in working hard and getting the best out of yourself and learning from now on and treat people with kindness, then you don't need to worry about it. Yeah. And you're committed to learning now, right? Yeah. The things you weren't yeah. taught. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and, and I hear you what you're saying. Can do... Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I hear what you're saying about the public statement rather than just the email. Because honestly, putting it out there is educating other people like, hey, I was wrong. This is why I was wrong. And hopefully it would move the needle forward and other people that might have had those preconceived notions come to their own like reconsideration of the whole situation. Yeah. And you, you also letting people know that you're human and you're not, mm-hmm. you don't know. Yeah. You don't know. You're like, there is a part of us. We all ignorant about things. Like it just showing people, Hey, I was, I was wrong. And, and then the ones that are saying, Oh my gosh, you're so inspiring. It's so true. They can also say, Oh, I could also apologize to somebody else. And it's not even about this whole running thing. It's not even about whole, it's like black and white and we're being different. It's just, just learning. Like it's just knowing that if you did something, you know, that hurt someone or hurt a different, like a group of people, you can apologize and move on. As long as you know, like in your heart, like you actually made a mistake and you want to, what you want to do better. You want to move on. You want to get to know other people. And I want to get to know about, there is, I want to get to know other people too. It's not that I want known, you know, people who are, you know, like white people to get to know like this history. Like I also have so much to learn. Yeah. We could all learn from each other. It's not, it's, it's not like, I don't know. It's hard to explain. It's just like, I just wish people were a little bit more sincere and, and it's never going to be like perfect where, Oh, we all love each other. We all have equal opportunity, and and then I see like people put you know, like this like you know shoe companies posting like mm. you know oh we can do better, and I'm like yeah, I know it's different. I'm fortunate that I have you know Essex that took a chance on me and gave me an opportunity. Not every shoe company, and I wasn't that like good, or I wasn't a superstar that they were like shopping for. You know, like, what is Diane? We want her. But it's like, <laughs> just, but in life, you always have that person. It doesn't matter, like, whether you are, where you're from, there's, like, you just have that one person or one company that takes a chance and be like, I see you. I see your potential. And it makes you feel good. But so what I said about, you know, all these people, these companies is like, hey, at least they're doing something. It's not perfect. You got to start somewhere, and I hope that if you say you're going to do this, you know, you're going to change, make the chances, and 
it cha- I mean, it changes. It's like, you got to start somewhere. It's not going to happen overnight. And sometimes it feels like, you know, certain people are being, feel like cherries, but it's okay. It's, it's better than nothing. I mean, it, is it good? No. Is it also, I don't like to say it's better than nothing because you know what you deserve as a person, right? But you got to start somewhere. And yeah. This is like, I don't think this is out of context, but something I heard recently and I keep saying to my kids about anything in life is that practice makes progress, not perfection. Like, you know, the common saying practice makes perfect. I'm like, let's move away from that because nobody's perfect. No. And if you think that practicing something or learning something is going to get you there, you're probably going to be scared away from starting in the first place. So practice makes progress. No, I I feel like I'm spending so much time on this, but I was I'm happy talking to Sarah um, about some of this stuff, and um, I don't know if she would want me to talk about it. I can always ask before you post it, but I, she, she just asked me. It's like, you know, obviously Sarah is such a, a good person, and Sarah she's Hall. Like, she's talking about everybody. Yeah, yes, yeah, Sarah Hall, and she's travel. Um, and she has, you know, four kids from Ethiopia. So she's a little bit more educated. I think when, it, you know, it, traveling is like, I always say traveling is the best education. Mm, Anybody can really. Yeah. And so I, I was, you know, sometimes I just go for a run and I just like vent because she actually listens and she has a little bit like experience. And I'm you always think, you know, you're raising kids who look like me and mm all that and she always asking me, Oh, why don't you just say something? And I remember telling her, I'm like, you know, Sarah, it's like I can't say something, but I just feel like people really not listen to me. But it, I I said, but sometimes if you say something, people probably listen to you more and then I can jump in, you know? Mm. She's like, Okay. So but I can say I can like write on social media, I can tweet about it. I'm sure some people will see it. But it's not the same. And I'm not the only one who feels like my voice is not necessarily being heard. And and it's not like I have so many tragic moments. That I, it's not like I have so many bad experiences that I need to like speak up. But I feel like these experiences and all these comments that, you know, people say and stuff like I'm not the only one like I have so many friends some from Kenya Ethiopia and even some people from here we talk about it and I just I feel like they say kind of similar things and so yeah I saw Sarah tweet about something or along those lines I can't paraphrase it off the top of my head but yeah she, she tweeted something along the lines of this exact conversation you're having about people saying you were taking their place kind of deal. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm sure she wouldn't mind us talking about it since she tweeted it herself. Yeah. Yeah. I love so, Sarah uh, so much. She's been on this podcast several times and she's just so genuine. She is. And, and then when, even when you talk to her, you can tell like, she's not, you know, you're not being judged. You're mm-hmm. not being, she just, you know, and I appreciate that because I also don't have to, feel like, oh, there's certain things I can't say. I just like whatever is bothering me, especially with all this. And her obviously being raised completely different from the way I was being, you know, the way I was raised. So I feel like at least you have these people like her and 
And I've been getting to know um, a lot about Rachel and Rachel, you know, like we just talk and I feel like, look, we learning from each other and she wants to know about, you know, these things I experience and, you know, my background. And I also want to know, you know, how she was raised. And, and sometimes like we just kind of come to a conclusion that we understand why some of these things are happening. We understand some of these people feel entitled to these prize money, these, you know, uh, you know, them feeling like, oh, okay, you here, if you weren't here, I would have gotten the first place. If you weren't here, I'll get that $10,000. But it's kind of like, don't you want to, don't you run to get the best out of yourself? Like mm-hmm. if you cannot compete with people here and it also isn't running or any other sports, it's like you get to compete internationally. Mm-hmm. So you shouldn't really care about who's your teammate because also like, I know I'm repeating myself a little bit, like also like take the time to like, I take five minutes to just think how long did it even take this person to get here? How hard was it for you to get here? Like, just be a little bit more compassion. And just, I mean, do you think any of us would prefer leaving our family behind? Like, I love my family. We had so much fun growing up with, even with, all the problems that maybe we faced, you know, in the past. We had so much fun. I remember family, like, tradition, our family holidays, and those are the things that I never forget just because even though it wasn't when I was older, even though it didn't happen for 30-plus years, I remember it because we, we enjoy spending time together. So I don't think anybody wants to leave their family behind and just because just like that, just so because I want to take $10,000 from one of these, you know, born Americans. No, mm-hmm. I can't. I'm here for to educate myself. I'm here to get a better life. I'm here to explore and see what's out there. And there's a lot more opportunities here. I mean, I, I never have, I never want to apologize why I'm here. And if you're not, not okay with why I'm here, unfortunately, you can't do anything. <laughs> I'm just, <laughs> that's what I know it sounds mean, but I always, that's it's what not I always me. Say. I'm like, you're here. I'm like, you can't. I'm like, I'm here. And you live here. even in the worst of my worst days, I'm like, I, I'm going to kill you with my kindness and I'm going to smile even if. You just made all these crazy comments because you know what? I'm not going to let you ruin my day. Am I going to get annoyed? Yes. Am I going to, like, you know, talk, say so-and-so, oh, my gosh, they're so annoying? Yes. I'm going to vent. I'm going to say anything I want to say, but it does not change who I am. It does not change when I get out there and, like, look, say hi to people because I don't think everybody's, the, to me, is not the same. Like, I meet you here. You're a different person. You, I biz. You know, I get to decide who you are based on the things you say. Those are based on the conversations we have. And then I don't always get you who you are really, but there's always that first word, that first question, that first, just that first impression to me. And when I get the that bad vibe, I don't waste my time on you. And there are people that have given second chances, and I'm glad I did. And there are some that I given second chances, and I'm like, what was I thinking? Mm. Maybe I was very vulnerable that time, and you know what? We can let that like we can let that go, and I learn from my mistakes. So, 
as you can tell, I'm definitely getting into these things. So. I'm so glad you're sharing, and I'm so glad that you live here. Yeah, thank you. I am. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing um, just your experiences with all this, and, you know, I'm curious your thoughts, just kind of piggybacking off the conversation that we're already having about, I've heard people complain about the coverage of the Olympic trials with Sally and Alphine and how it was more talked about, you know, Molly's, you know, story kind of made the headlines more. Did you notice that? Well, uh, yeah, well, yeah, but I noticed, but it wasn't like anything new. Mm. I mean, I've watched, Mm. I, I've watched like races, for example, maybe I shouldn't be talking about it, but I've watched, I, you know, Abdi running. Abdi's finished third in New York 2016. Um, he was, last year, he was the first, was it, he, he, he broke the um, Masters champion. And he also made the Olympic team, you know, at 43. It's like, I mean, does he get the same attention as most people? No. Mm. Is it okay? He's fine. He he loves running. He he doesn't really care much, right? But with Afin and him, I wasn't shocked. I don't know if it's a good thing to say, but also, do I think Molly deserved also attention? Yeah, it was her first marathon, right? Um, she, she's also gone through things like, you know, she talked about, you know, how she went through with injuries and, you know, eating disorder. She was open and vulnerable and she was never the one saying, oh, I'm so ready. I'm going to win. I'm going to do this. I'm going to make the team. She went in and did her job and, and without seeing like, she did so well. So I was amazing. happy for her. Yeah. yeah, I was happy for her. And um, her and Sally ran, like, you know, the best races and they made a team. And I I wasn't shocked. And people were tweeting, I get, it's good. I mean, if they feel, I hope things will change where I don't have to say, oh, I wasn't surprised. I wasn't shocked. It's, they're not the only people. I know people that been running, like my friend Janet, she's originally from Kenya. She made the Olympic in, team in 2012 but like not a lot of people talked about her even in town people were writing articles about these other runners which it's not a competition but it's like Janet was basically nobody in college and she met a team and ran 3110 wow and yeah and but you didn't see our articles she was not on like covers of you know magazines and stuff like that's that's not new. It's not even about running. In running, it's about you know we watch movies and then you know I remember uh, was it a couple of days ago when we were talking about representation with mm-hmm. Runners Ward and stuff. It's mm-hmm. like how why is it different from Runners Ward and you know the national TV? Why is it gonna be? I mean, how many times did they say oh Africans and then the Africans? I'm like, do you realize they're Ethiopians or Kenyans? I'm like, and maybe they don't realize they're saying that stuff but it's like it never or when they say the first known african what does it even mean (laughs) it's like the first the first i'm like the first known african it is international 
this is this is the, the world championship, right? So when you listen, and I know a lot of people don't I know don't pay attention. Mm-hmm. I pay attention because mm-hmm. I'm like maybe because I'm African, right? Mm-hmm. But it's like, and then I read, I was I've been reading what some of the you know runners are talking about, like saying, oh, the first known African, first American, first. It's like that doesn't even make sense. Mm-mm. And so why are we surprised that the coverage was, you know, different? And Alvin didn't get a lot of, you know, attention. Why? Why all of a sudden we just assume not just not Finn's race. What about what about the men's race? Mm-hmm. So wh- just because somebody I don't know who tweeted about it first. Just because somebody just decided to tweet about the women's race and and you know if you look if you really pay attention, it's not just in the women's race and it's not just the Olympic trials and it's just every other race. I've had someone. One runner telling me a couple of years ago that, of course, I cannot name these names. I wish I could, but I can't just right, because right, I right. don't want to make anybody feel right. good. But that's why I'm like, I hope that these people are listening. Yeah. And whether they remember it or not, I hope you just go back and think, wait, that actually hurt her feelings mm-hmm. and actually is not the right thing to say. So I had a runner. I went for a race and I had a runner. I was just running and we were just doing an easy run. And then I was like, you know. Having an American, basically a born American winning a major marathon, I think they were referring to uh, Celine when she won New York. Of course, it was exciting. It's, it's, it's like when you see someone sure. who's been working for years and, and you know, their work, their hard work is paying off, it looks good. But it was like, yeah, it looks good. It's just people, it gets people more exciting. And when you know, and uh, either an American or a European, basically you're talking about a, one, a white person wins, mm. which, but to me, it's like, what do you mean it looks good? And so to me, I'm always, but I didn't say that. I was like, yeah, it just looks, it just kind of gives you like, you know, motivation and stuff. And I'm like, just so you know, I don't just get inspired by a Kenyan or Ethiopian. I get inspired by seeing someone, pro, you know, progress and dedication to the sport and hard work and just having that day where they win and it's where you've been like following them you're reading about them when you learn about their story that's inspiring Mm -hmm. to me it's like i mean do i cheer for some of the you know the africans people that i went to school with the east africans or whatever the kenyans yeah of course i do sometimes i know them personally but you i don't just get inspired by people from you know, who look like me. Yeah. I get inspired by your hard work and you being a good person and knowing what you've been doing or just hearing about it. Like, you know? So it's just to me to say that I'm like, whoa, that's that's sad. Yeah. I'm thinking of I'm my brain is thinking about like major marathon wins here and I I everybody flipped out about Shalane winning. That was awesome. Mm-hmm. I think that people were as excited when Meb won Boston in 2014, but I, I don't know, you know, I was just trying to compare someone that, um, came from East Africa. I always yeah. say Eritrea. I always say his country wrong. Eritrea? Do you know to, Eritrea. Yeah. Eritrea, yeah. Yeah. But that's honestly the only example I can think of to be completely honest. And I don't know if that's like Meb is so beloved, you know, 
I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but what are yeah. your... And, and sometimes, I mean, I think, I mean, I, I remember watching it was pretty exciting. Yeah. Um, and also because it was like the year after the bombing, I was yes. there in 2000, was it 2013? Yeah, I have, yeah, you ran in 2013. 2013 we haven't even yeah. been able to, we haven't even gotten to any of <laughs> that. You've run a lot of marathons. You me it's okay. Um, yeah. So I, I think that was pretty exciting, but like, it's, but you know, um, uh, Edna Kiplaga. Mm-hmm. Edna has had a, such a long career. Edna is one of the most amazing people you ever meet, and we actually do share some manager. And it's not—I'm not even being biased, but it's like Edna has won all these races. She's so amazing, and it's like if you're not—if Edna is not inspiring you, you're in the wrong sport. One hundred percent. She's so kind. And she's so encouraging. She will never treat you any different. We, she encourages you. It's like it doesn't matter if, you know, you're an American. You're, you're I have never seen her, like, just being like, oh, I'm just, you know, good. I want my – she never she – she doesn't care about the followers. She doesn't care about all that stuff. She is just a great person. And she won so many races. But you don't see Edna anywhere. No, you, you don't. You don't care about Edna, you know? And – it's just like, and I get it. Some people were born with it. You know, some people were born to be liked. Some people have these good looks and they can just walk around and they post something and everybody's all about, you know, you know, post, you know, commenting on it, liking it. And that all that in the end doesn't really matter. But also those people have more, you know, they have the platform. They have to like, they can change people's opinion. They can change their followers' opinion. But also you have, you know, yeah, you have, there's just so many good people out there. Man, I have to tell you, I had emailed your agent last year, might have been even the year before, about having Edna come on the show. And then yeah. I had this big dream of going to Boulder this summer and doing all these in-person interviews. And I thought, Edna's interview has to be in person. Like, yeah. I just felt like I wanted to feel her presence and it had to be in person. And then, of course, yeah. COVID happened. And I don't even know if I could have, like, arranged that she could have done it. Um, but, you know, she is a dream guest for me to have on this show. And yeah. I've just, like, held this in my heart. Like, that is going to be such a special interview just for so yeah, many I, reasons. Yeah. Yeah, I hope it happens because she she deserves to also – people deserve to hear about her story and she's such an incredible person that even forget about all the running I I really think she's one of the best people and she's she can mentor a lot of people and and she's not into like social media and it's being on social media there's nothing wrong with that but it's like there's so many forms other forms of like you can inspire other people you can there are a lot of people that she doesn't speak she doesn't talk a lot Mm -hmm. she's very soft-spoken but she's like very um she's very smart so like for me I I admire people more people like that because they're just they work really hard and they show you how good they are by just running really fast and winning these races you never hear them talking about oh I'm so ready oh I'm gonna break this record I'm gonna do this and this and it's like they they let the running do the talking. That's so cool. Would you mm-hmm. say is Edna one of your biggest inspirations? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's so yeah. cool. Okay, now you have me so motivated to interview her. 
Hey friends, one more sponsor to thank for this episode, and that is Lily Trotters, my favorite compression sock. You've heard me talk about Lily Trotters before if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, and they have the most comfortable, the most fashionable compression socks on the market. They also have a crew length sock that you will love. I wear the crew length most of the summer, and this is a woman-owned business doing really cool things in the running space. A great company to partner with, and I stand behind their brand. If you are looking for a compression sock, go check out Lily Trotters. Go to lilytrotters.com, use the code ANOTHER for 25% off your order. All right, friends, don't forget when this conversation wraps up, Diane's going to stick around for some extra conversation for our Patreon supporters. 20 extra minutes with Diane when you go to patreon.com slash Lindsay Hine. All right. Enjoy the rest of my conversation with Diane. Okay. Can we talk about running a little bit? Yes. I know that everybody listening feels the same way. Thank you for sharing like your story and bringing attention to how you felt over the years to the forefront, yes. because I think it's really important that people hear that. So thank you. Okay. So eight marathons, you've run eight marathons. Only eight. Well, I don't know. I guess I just I wrote down like the major. I ran more than that. I wrote... Oh, major. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe. I did, did I get LA in there? I don't know. See, Diane, you can't trust Wikipedia. It's okay. <laughs> you can't trust I it. know, but you know, you realize that anybody can go in there and like. I know. <laughs> it's awful. Um, but you've run a lot of Bostons and New Yorks. Yes. I've yeah. done um, three, four New York, I think. 2000, I think I've done 2011. Not 2012, 2011 and 2012, 13, 16, 17. And in 2016, you were fifth? Yes. Yeah, that's awesome. So Boston or New York, which one do you love more? Oh, it's hard. Um, (laughs) They're both so good. I I have to go with New York. Okay. Boston always beats up my Uh quads. So, yeah. I ran New York for the first time last year, and I, I'm i going to say the same. Yeah. 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 I'm going to say the same. You just And you can't beat those crowds. There's just something about New York. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. So when did you know that you were a marathoner? Hmm. I wouldn't even say I'm a marathoner. That's the saddest part. Really? <laughs> I... I feel like I have a more of if there was like a half marathon, especially a half oh. marathon in the Olympics, I really enjoy the halves because yeah. I feel like every time I run a marathon, I'm always like, oh, I could have just once I get to 35, I'm like, oh, and I and I kind of get bored mm-hmm. when I get to like a certain distance. And I don't know if it's like a, the way I maybe I'm training for it, but I I don't know. I don't enjoy marathons that much. So I mostly just do it because, you know, New York and Boston are super exciting. And also, not to lie, money. Right, 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 right. So, yeah, I did read you say that somewhere that your favorite distance is the half. Mm -hmm. You know, I think about that sometimes. It's kind of crazy that in running in the Olympics, you go from 10K to a, a marathon. Like yeah. it would make sense to me to put the half marathon distance in it. would be it. so nice. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a huge, that's a huge jump. That's crazy. Yeah. I like the half because 
you kind of run it like a 10k uh-huh. it's still so fast and sometimes like there are times when you would go through the 10k or the last 10k that it's close to my my PR so I feel like you kind of get nice and warmed up and it's so exciting and then by the time you start feeling like 15k the fatigue but really like you're almost done yeah so it's kind of like that speed strength and I love it maybe because I also love the cross country so it kind of reminds me a little bit of cross country you run fast but you get to really grind really fast as well yeah it's so hard though it's so hard (laughs) <laughs> like, do you think, I always think, and I'm not competing at your level, but to me, I think, I think a half marathon is h- harder than a marathon. What? Yeah. No. Like the, cause I have to run so fast and I'm not good at running really fast. Well, I guess it depends. Like a lot of us would go into the marathons. We just run it, want to run so fast. Mm. And like the, one of the reasons why I loved New York in 2016, I went in, like I had a little bit of like a foot like issue so I wasn't sure it had been, it was bothering me like a couple of weeks out, but I could still train, but I wasn't sure, you know, you start kind of like tapering, you start freaking out. But I remember we went out really, really slow. And then like after, I would say like seven or eight miles, it picked like, I think Mary dropped like a 450 mm-hmm. something. So we kind of like went, but it was like, I was around 515, 520. I'm like, oh, okay, I got to slow down because it was one of those like, downhills mm-hmm. and I remember some people went with her and they just completely died uh, and I remember too I, I was like passing some and there were some coming from behind but it's like it wasn't I didn't even care about the time and I didn't even know about the, the place the place I was in so it was really competing like catching those that are like you know hit the wall which I feel bad for them but I'm like I'm running so smart and I'm enjoying it I don't even know care how fast I'm running and it was not that fast. I think I went to 33, which I, I didn't care. So, but in the end, it was so fun because I also had one of my friends from Canada, uh, Lani Martin. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. She was uh, coming in the end and she told me, oh, my sky. And I was like, oh, I was like, thank God. It didn't. <laughs> she was six. <laughs> she, yeah. So she just came like, I think we had a few more miles. She was really coming for me. But I, I love competing with her because she was also here a few few weeks before so I've done like runs with her long runs when we were just like hammering the runs but I knew she always has something in the end and she's a very strong for that mm-hmm. course so she was saying I was coming it was so fun I'm like yeah I'm so glad I was in the end I didn't know I want you to pass me oh I love that yeah fifth place that's in that's super impressive yeah it was, it was a good day and that was when Abdi was third so it was yeah. a good day for us yeah yeah Okay, that's so awesome. Okay, so we've mentioned Abdi a few times. You have to tell us how you met. Well, I mean, we met for the first time, like I said, in 2000, but it was just through my teammate, but it wasn't even like anything like romantic. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, gross. But (laughs) (laughs) uh, I, because we kind of did like similar races, and then I saw him again in 2011. I think we were at Farmer, and so I think we're just like all like all hanging out, but at that time it wasn't. We're just like friends, and I just remember like we were when I first met him in two thousand, and then well, I'll see him in the races and stuff. And then when I came here to train, so I knew he was here training, and he was uh, he would come here for the summer since he lives in Tucson, and he was friends also with my friend Janet, who I actually competed against in in college. So I knew both of them were here, and I was 
just, you know, it's just one of those things that I also need, like, friends, like, around. And when I moved here, he also was here a lot. So it was, like, we're hanging out. We're just, like, witty friends. And we still didn't start dating until 2015. Okay. Towards the end of 2015. So it's just, like, we know kind of, like, we have mutual friends. And we've been friends through all, like, all these years. And, yeah. So there's nothing really special. Like, I couldn't even tell you when we started at to go, when I was our first date, I couldn't tell you. I love I think it. We've always been just hanging out, like yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's really yeah. cool. Um, I know it's just a post on social media, but just like seeing you post after he made the Olympic team, like that just felt so exciting. So I'm sure that that was a really special day for you as well. Yeah, it was. It was. It was good. It was definitely inspiring to watch. Um, just someone like train hard and dedicate three months of his life and he's more disciplined than I would ever be I know that 100% even if I go to a training camp I get a little bit distracted I'm not quite I don't have that personality where I could just like it's just really different we're like different people and there's nothing wrong with that but it was cool to see him commit Mm. to that and just seeing the love and dedication and really how hard he works and go there and actually deliver and make the team. And I only wish, like, honestly, people would just kind of want to know, like, how do you do it? Yeah. What do you do? Because I'm around, I get to see it. Where I know 100%, like I said, it's not something I can do, right? And I want to be dedicated. I'm an also an elite runner, but it's just not quite the same. I know myself, and we all have different, you know, different personalities and different ways of, you know, working. For him, he's definitely, he's made to run a marathon. He's a marathoner. The the hillier the course, the better he is. And, you know, I've never seen anybody going up uphill much faster than downhill. Like, that's just, even when he's out running, like, it's just, I've never seen anything like that. So, and his personality works really well with running mm. distance because he's so laid back and he got no stress, no drama, nothing. He's just like, hey, which is annoying at times, but <laughs> it works for him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm going to show up and do my thing. I'm going to show up and put down the work that I've put in. Yeah. 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 That's so cool. And fifth Olympic team. I mean, that's, there are very few people that have done that. Yeah. That's yeah, awesome. It's impressive. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we're going to get Abdi on the show sometime. You you can give him a nudge. You can give him a nudge. I, yeah, I think, I think he'd be good. Yeah. He probably would say half of the things I say. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's why we're different. So. Okay. So we're going to wrap up with some end of the podcast questions. Okay. So this is, I ask everybody these questions at the end. What's one thing professionally or personally that you'd like to do that you haven't done yet? Oof. <laughs> That's a lot. Uh, professionally, I feel like I could run a fast marathon. Well, <laughs> faster, I could definitely run a little bit faster and master the marathon, which that's kind of like maybe not boring, but that's like my, you know, that's my job for now. Personally, whew, I would love to maybe live with just being around my mom and family, that would be one of the things that I would love to spend 
six months, a year, just getting, you know, spending a little bit more time with my family. Yeah. That's cool. What's your mom's name? Uh, Kalini. Oh, that's so pretty. <laughs> what is a, an accomplishment you're most proud of? Oh, an accomplishment I'm proud of. Um, graduating from college because mm. I, believe it or not, <laughs> I know it's crazy, but when I tell people I went to school, they no, they asked me, what are you going to do when you're done running? I said, I'm going to work. And they're like, you went to school? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> so they remind me that too, I guess, when they ask me that kind of question. But definitely graduating from college because, like I said, it's not something I ever dreamed of. What is the best, most recent book you've read? See, I don't actually like to read. You're not a reader. <laughs> no, but I'm trying to get into it. I started reading Becoming by Michelle oh, Obama. Yeah. Yeah. So I finished it with the audio instead, but I read almost half. So at least some, I got to uh, start somewhere. Yeah, no, I, I have a bunch of audible credits. I'm listening to Untamed by Glennon, um, Melton Doyle right now, but, uh, Becoming came up on like the feed and I almost clicked it, but I was like, I feel like I want to read it. But then I saw that she narrates and I always like it when the author actually is the narrator. Oh yeah. I watched that too. Yeah. But I think, uh, even though I'm not a big reader, I think it's, I think it's different too when you read it and sometimes I think I absorb when... it more when I read it, but then sometimes when I listen, I think I absorb it more. I, I can't tell which I like better, honestly. <laughs> so you're doing yeah. it on, you're listening to becoming on audible is what you're saying. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. If you could have coffee, tea or cocktail with someone fun, motivating or inspiring, who would it be? Oof, I have so many. I only have one. No, you can, you make well, the rules. Okay. Um, I love, I love Michelle Obama. I think she would be really fun to, um, more, I guess, like, I, I think she would be, an, she's an inspiration, of course. And I think I would love to talk to her and ask her questions, but I also love Alicia Keys. I was talking to Rachel. We were actually talking about her. She's her voice. It's not even her singing voice, but her just her voice is like so soothing. And she, I feel like she done so many, so much work. Like she worked on herself, and she's very open. But it also comes off really genuine. And I think I could learn a lot from her. But I would love to have cocktail with. Gabrielle Union because I feel like she is more she's very outspoken but in a way I feel like she will also won't apologize mm-hmm. um so I feel like I could have fun having a drink like drinks with her because then we can just like maybe can I like use certain words yeah. or you have to you can. I could actually we could we could actually talk shit about people and just enjoy and have few hours of fun yeah and I feel like she also that have that energy that I have also have that energy that maybe Michelle and Alicia would not okay. like appreciate after a few cocktails so totally I would say in the uh the final I'll have to go with Gabriella Union I love that each of your picks had like a specific <laughs> reason for what and like I totally see all of those things okay so um, I watched, I know I listened to Alicia Keys on the armchair expert podcast. That was really good. So put that in your notes because it was, did you listen okay. to it? No, it's really no, good. No, I didn't. No, 
Um, and then Gabrielle Union, she and her husband, is it is it Dwayne? I'm mm-hmm. gonna say it wrong. Is it Dwayne? Dwayne Wade. Yeah. Wade. Wade. I was gonna say Reed. Wade. Wade. Yeah. Yeah. Wade. They were on Oprah's podcast like a couple years ago, and I listened to that as well. I think it was like right after they had their babies. I think they had some major fertility problems mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, go listen to both of those. They're really good. I will. Have you seen that uh, Netflix show, Being Mary Jane? No. You have to watch it. Okay. She's in it, and she has like, she wears the most amazing outfits, and every night she's like. She she drinks, she has this like wine and she's so fancy and it's like I'm obsessed with the show. I was talking to Opsy, she's the one also loves it and we used to watch the show. But it, I think that it's done now, but I was Being like Mary so Jane. obsessed with her. Being Mary Jane. Okay. And I love, I love everything about the show and like everything about her. It's just like, it's like she brings you back to life. So Is that a sitcom? No, it's like a series. Like, it's like a drama. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Ooh, being yeah. Mary Jane. Okay. That sounds great. I love it. Okay. Um, this is the last question before we go to Patreon. What is your one message to send to the world? Be kind. Yeah. Um, I mean, of course, I always have more to say and a lot of messages, but I think being kind, it's it's pretty simple, but also like hard, but I just feel like nothing like just meeting someone who's kind mm. and it kind of like changes your, it could just change your whole day, your mood or I mean, your life too. If you're around people who are kind and I've been fortunate enough to be around people like that. So be kind, everybody. Mm-hmm. All right. Diane's going to stay on for Patreon. Um, if you support the show, patreon.com slash Lindsay Hine, you can hear this continued conversation. Thanks, Diane. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, Diane, for coming on the show. It was a pleasure talking to you, getting to know you. Can't wait to do it again. You all can find Diane on Instagram. She's Diane Newcurry. That's N-U-K-U-R-I over there. You can find me on Instagram. I'm lindsayhine626. You can find me on Twitter at lindsayhine. And I'm on Facebook where we have a group as well. Just search for us. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine. All the links for everything we talked about will be in the show notes at lindsayhine.com. Check out our wonderful sponsors for this episode, Prevenex. The code another will get you 15% off your first order. Curex, the best running insoles out there. Code IHA15 will get you 15% off your order there. And of course, Lily Trotters, the best compression socks on the market. Use the code ANOTHER for 25% off your order. All this information will be in the show notes at lindsayhine.com. Thank you all so much for being here. Have a wonderful Friday, a great rest of your weekend. And as always, I'll see you next Friday.